Hello and welcome to At Home With, a podcast from the residential business at Knight Frank. At Home With offers a glimpse inside the lives of some of the world's foremost property experts and their clients. And every week you'll be hearing conversations with interesting people from across the world about how they made it to where they are today, how they found their dream homes and how we can help you find yours. I'm your host, journalist and social media executive at Knight Frank, Rebecca Hills. Today I'm joined by Frederick Lille, Chief Executive Officer at Knight Frank French Riviera and partner at Riviera Luxury Rentals. Frederick and I had such an interesting conversation about what it was like moving to the south of France from Scandinavia, why he believes you should throw yourself into new challenges and opportunities, and what excites him so much about the property market in the French Riviera. Frederick began his property career back in 2010 when he founded EstateNetFrance.com, a real estate company offering a unique and independent view of the French Riviera and Monaco's luxury property markets. Prior to entering the property world, Frederick specialised in the entertainment sales industry across Europe. Now, Frederick resides in the south of France, selling some of the most exclusive and exciting properties in the world. Frederick, it's a pleasure to welcome you onto the podcast. Yes, thank you, Rebecca. Nice to be here. How are you doing today? How have things been in France recently, especially with everything that's going on with quarantining and lockdown and everything moving out of that coronavirus stage? We've been quite good um, down here. The situation has been, you know, like everywhere, uh, worrying at at, uh, at first and now we've found a good rhythm i think south of france has been open all summer you've had restaurants open bars uh, rental market has been very active sales market people have been traveling a lot less flights a lot more uh, europeans have taken their car and driven through europe and, and, and had a different kind of holiday which i think most of them appreciated and um yeah the south of france has resisted yet another obstacle i mean it's uh, good to see how we can kind of adapt quickly and and shape into kind of uh, if, if it's a new market or if it's a new you know situation like this it's you know it's possible to deal with and um, and right now you know the, the holidays are just finished school started again and and we like we say every year this time we get our riviera back it's the best time september october to be in the south of france less people and and still great weather so no complaints mm, definitely no I'm very jealous I'd love to be in the south of France at the moment <laughs> and how have you found personally the experience of being in lockdown and coming out of lockdown and getting back into work did were you working from home for a long period of time what was the situation like for you yeah we, we closed our five offices down here and uh, sent people home obviously like everybody work from home now we are in a part of the world where there are not that many people, 1.1 million in the 06 region, which is actually the Côte d'Azur, this kind of uh, southeastern part of the Riviera. Um, And uh, we have a lot of green space, a lot of space between houses, between villages and towns. So we have, you know, great weather and we have outdoor space. We had nothing to complain about. Um, Of course, it was a challenge, but we kept working through uh, the lockdown lot of online stuff but also we saw that there was a big increase in interest in properties both for rent and for sale uh, in this region from people all around the world who clearly had time to sit down with their families and talk through what to come and and kind of adapting to this potentially new way of living working and and that combination that would allow them to do a little bit more of what they want to do where they want to do it in the world um, so it was quite an interesting period, uh, worrying but interesting. And coming back out of uh, lockdown 11th of May, we really all hit the ground running. I mean, we did a few very, very good sales virtually 
um, which was an amazing experience. And now we've got, uh, you know, the market back quite quickly and, and gone through the whole summer as I dare to say almost normal. Mm, amazing. And I think it seems to be a lot of what people are thinking. It's that lockdown and coronavirus more generally is maybe we'll want to stop putting off what they were looking forward to doing before a lot of people would say oh maybe we'll get a house in the south of France maybe we'll do this maybe they'll do that but have you found that people have just been a lot more decisive now and being like actually no let's let's do what we always wanted to do absolutely they have and again another stroke of luck perhaps but we are located right next to Monaco Monaco as we all know is high concentration of wealth in tall buildings with little space and uh, right on the doorstep of the Riviera. So that was our kind of first port of call was all those buyers coming out of that lockdown in apartments. Um, and that prompted a decision-making within the family quite quickly there that we are going to definitely get that weekend or holiday home in the south of France, which they escape to after school on a Friday and they go back on Sunday night. Um, but it's only an hour or two or half an hour, depends where they are, drive away. Um, and for holidays, they can be there. Um, so so that, that was our first, the, the first thing we saw was, was quite a lot of, of wealthy buyers coming out from there. And then it's, it's kind of opened up through to to Paris and other other cities. Um, so totally a change in the kind of product that people are looking for and that they were looking much more seriously, as you say, yes, they, they were very focused. Fewer people could travel, less tourism, more tourism with a, a purpose. You know, they were here to relax, but also to kind of look for that next stage, which was maybe a longer term luxury letting or, um, or a purchase. And I also heard from a lot of my clients that they perhaps hadn't had too or enough real estate in their portfolio so they felt that some of that financial gain that they have gotten over the years through the financial markets was now more easily placed into real estate because it had that kind of the other side of that investment coin was the, the lifestyle and they really appreciated that now and and understood for themselves and the family that they could they could enjoy it a, a lot more um, and we also saw that france being so central you know more central than maybe parts of spain and portugal or, or, or italy where you have to go very far down to go to the south anyway um, and the good control of the covid cases and the high capacity of hospital services that we have here we, i think we we're only at 30 or 40 percent capacity at the worst down here so it, it you know all these things added together made the south of france even more desirable than before and actually we have another um string to our bow which is the the, the health part uh, you can actually be here have good temperature weather through the winter um have all the fun easy in easy out space and then health wise you can be very well looked after in case you get sick Definitely. That sounds like it's it's almost an ideal place to relocate to. And I'm sure we'll get onto this later on in the conversation when we talk a little bit more about specifically about the French Riviera. But to begin our conversation, I'd like to take things back to the start and find out how you got into property in the first place and why you decided to pursue this career path. Yes, the, the life before and after uh, was property, was really before, was um, means to an end, really. You know, my, my previous work was 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 work if you if you know what i mean and 
And since we got into property by chance, by co complete coincidence, but having, you know, always that interest, I think that a lot of people have in property, you know, buying something, doing it up, enjoying it, selling it on, uh, generally looking at the property market, beautiful homes, prices up and down, different markets, etc. Um, and when the opportunity was there to, to, to try that, then um, I jumped at it and have never looked back, really. And you said it was a complete coincidence that you got into it, but how did that opportunity come around? Well, the rich, well, the story goes that my father had retired to the south of France um, uh, in 2000, about 99, 2000. And after a couple of years on the golf course as a 50 year old, he thought that that was a little bit boring and he was too young. So he said, uh, I, I want to, you know, I'm open to some projects. He then got some friends calling him up and saying, friends of friends, we would like to buy something down where you are in the south of France. Could you help us? Because the local agents, they don't speak English. They, uh, they don't reply to the fax, let alone email, um, etc. And it's very hard to kind of find out what's, what's going on down there. So he said, sure, I'll help you. So he helped one or two friends and I realized that maybe there is a market for this. So he established actually what was initially called a state net france.com uh, you know website um, where we had local listed properties um, from local agents um, translated into six or seven different languages to kind of help foreigners buy in the south of france and this was early 2000s so we mustn't forget that france is quite behind i'm norwegian in norway in 90 Two ninety three ninety four. We had computers, internet. Uh, we were probably at ten years behind down here, especially in the south of France. I, I dare to say, um, and it led uh, him to, to be contacted by quite a lot of, of different people. So when I then come around, came around down here in two thousand and two, two thousand and three, we decided to kind of make it uh, something more in those coming years. I think actually officially, I I, I joined in. 2000 and um, yeah 2003 and uh, my father and then turned it into an estate agency and then funnily enough one of the first partners we had down here was actually uh, Knight Frank in Grimaud, uh Hugo Skellington down just next to Saint-Tropez he was one of the first paying customers that came to us with property so we've done full circle and here we are today uh, you know, being like Frank, so that's quite a fun story. But we, we, we got into it by, by coincidence because of, of my father's be, be, being being called up by friends wanting to uh, wanting to help have help with with property. So it's really just driven by the need of the the need of the market and, and me falling into it. Mm, and your previous career was in the more entertainment sales industry, if I'm right. And so you had a little bit of sales experience. But what was it like setting up your own estate agency going from just having the website that your father developed, but making it into more of an agency itself? What was that experience like? Well, not speaking French for starters was quite um, challenging um, to set up in a, in, a, in a new country, new culture. Now, I've done this already in Hong Kong, China, Taiwan been a lot in the US, uh, just traveled around more or less all the countries in Europe several times, had clients in most of them. So, so you know, you, you kind of got to become, you know, if you're a good salesperson, I think you uh, are a bit of a chameleon as well. You kind of adapt to your background and to your, uh, to the foreground, whatever you need to do to be able to kind of fit in. So it was, it was a steep learning curve, but 
you know, um, it wasn't too complicated and it was focused. I mean, also I was very young and didn't really have, uh, you know, much money. There was not real income because I just kind of left my, my previous kind of career back in, in Asia, uh, Europe, Asia, and then left that behind. That, that tired me out. It wasn't very interesting. It was a, it was a job, not a career as I saw it. Um, and then you have all that energy. So you don't really think about the, the dangers of skiing down a black run full speed. You kind of do it because that's, that's the kind of drive you have and uh, you're in the moment. So, uh, you know, adapted along the, along the way, but it's, you know, it's a very expat oriented sector down here. So the lack of language initially wasn't as big a problem as I thought, because a lot of people here uh, and a lot of the clientele, the buyers, especially coming in are, are English speaking. Mm. And a lot of people say that in order to learn a language is to just immerse yourself into it and to throw yourself into that culture. Did you find yourself then learning the language naturally and it just came through just interacting people? Or did you actively go out and say, I need, really need to learn the language in order to, to be at the forefront of this market? I, I did try to go to a language school and uh, it just took too much time. I, was, I wanted to get on with things business-wise. So uh, the second best option was to get married to someone French. Um, and that's what I did. Uh, my wife is half English, half French. Um, and she obviously was, she was the first option, not the second option. I'm just joking. But it was then um, uh, a new life, you know, with a, with a French speaker. Um, then we had the children who were born in France, gone to French school. Um, so I learned it kind of with, with that kind of creating a family, but also sort of creating this new culture and, and language. Mm. And so to somebody who maybe is considering a career in property in another country and they don't speak that language, would you say that not knowing the language shouldn't put you off? It should actually just drive you to want to pursue it further and actually learn that language and embed yourself in that culture rather than saying, oh, I don't know the language, so I just won't go there and do that thing. Yeah, the, the, you know, there's no restrictions uh, really in life. Uh, the, the only restriction is yourself normally. So I think if you go for it, um, Everyone has the same chances and some are risk takers a little bit more than others. Um, so this may be not entrepreneurship is not for everyone, but, but then there is, there is uh, converting yourself into a new market is, is not a problem. You just can't kind of do it from a distance. You've got to go to that pond and jump in it, you know, move to the country, get in there. That's the risk. That's the investment. And then once you're there, you can actually get going. Trying to do it from home halfway, um, that, that I don't think would work. Mm. And you mentioned that you you said that you're quite an adaptable person and in order to be successful within any sort of sales industry, you need to be adaptable. But then you also mentioned that because you were young, you were more driven to, to jump into things and push yourself beyond those those boundaries. Would you say that naturally you're quite an adaptable person? That's something that's remained with you throughout your career. I think it depends who you ask. If you ask my wife at home, she probably wouldn't find me very adaptable or, or flexible. Maybe that goes for everybody. But uh, in business, um, you have no choice. I mean, you got to move with the flow, with the fashion, with the trends, with the market. If there's no buyers for 3 million plus uh, or 3 million plus plus homes, then you got to adapt yourself to sell one or 2 million and you mustn't be too proud to do that. Um, and that adaption is, is key. Once pride and, 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 uh, and those kind of things comes in the way, which they do, if they do come uh, into the picture, then, then you will lose out. You got to be, 
you got to be flexible in anything you do in, in, in life, I think, also at home for that matter. Mm. And so looking back over your over your career in property, what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned so far? The biggest lesson, like picking out one is probably hard, but I think what you do learn when you run a business is that um, you learn as you make mistakes. I mean, that's an, that's an old thing and everyone kind of knows it, but it's, it really is. Uh, the only way you can properly understand and and improve and be better is by by trying trying and failing. So so that's what we do. I, I still do it today. Hopefully my, my my errors are less visible today than they were 20 years ago, but uh, but they're still there for sure. And they will be there to the end. But that's fine because that's that's how you kind of change and how you adapt and how you keep it fresh. Mm, absolutely. And I think a lot of people are scared to admit that that failure is actually one of the key ingredients to success because you don't want to admit when things have gone wrong because you see it as sometimes see it as a sign of weakness. But actually, it's those, those little failures that actually help you to grow further on in your career. And so to link on from that, what advice would you give to somebody who's starting out in their career, maybe has seen what you're doing, follows your Instagram account or has seen your journey through what you've been doing and thinks I'd love to do something similar. What advice would you give to them? Uh, I think head down, focus on the, on the path ahead. Don't oversell yourself or anything. Uh, fake it till make it does not work in my opinion. Um, I think you got to be hundred percent transparent, straight shooter, um, one of the successes that we had, uh, one of the reasons for the successes that we, we, we found later on uh, that we had was that we came from a different culture, a culture where in the south, southern Europe, they looked at, it, at the northern European, especially Scandinavians, as very honest, very straight, very, you know, and, and yes, maybe we are more um, uh, framed by rules and, and, and rule books back up in Scandinavia than they are in the south, south of France uh, or in the Mediterranean block countries. So a lot of people saw that as a, as a, as a fresh uh, breath of fresh air, really. Um, so, 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 so that was kind of helpful. You got to take what you have and, and try to put it, put it forward. So it's, it's really, you know, focused. I mean, if you get into property, just make sure whatever the property is, small or big, that you know it more than 100%. I mean, you have, if you know a property 100%, you're the one who's going to sell it. If you take it and kind of put it in your back pocket, moves on to two more in the back pocket, then it's not going to really work. You really need to need to focus. So I think the key word is focus. Mm, that's really interesting. And to dig in a little bit more to the to French Riviera and the south of France property market more generally, you mentioned that you're from Scandinavia originally. How did you find moving from, from one country to another? And, and we've already spoken a little bit about the language barrier, but embedding yourself within that culture and the, the cultural differences per se between the Scandinavian markets and the, the French south of France markets. Well, since I hadn't been working really in any property market ever before, uh, it wasn't really a big transit change because I didn't know so much about other markets. I wasn't, hadn't been working in those markets. So I kind of learned this market as my first and only market in a way. Um, you know, the market is very different that to the ones of the UK and Scandinavia or Northern Europe. I mean, here we price a property at the maximum price that the market may, you know, hold. Um, and then people bid below the asking price. In a lot of Northern European markets, it's 
um, kind of a, almost a valuer that comes in and set a set a value, and then uh, the agencies goes out with maybe a little bit over the technical value, and then you know open house people come in, they bid, and it might sell for above the asking price. So there, there is there is little changes like that that makes it uh, uh, that makes it diff more different or sometimes difficult as well for, for certain people to kind of swap over completely. Um, but, you know, living here, it's the way you get the culture. One of the first things I did was to stop any TV that was not French. So the only thing I listened to in the car was French radio. And the only thing I looked, watched on TV was French, but it was boring because I didn't understand much. So I, I focused just on the French news and, it didn't take long before you start to understand. And then when you understand that, you also understand a bit of, you know, day-to-day -day life, uh, what happens in the news. So you have elements you can discuss and refer to. Um, so I found that was a very good way to kind of try to understand the culture. Mm, that's a really interesting approach to take. And I think a lot of people, especially as our the audience for this podcast is, is very UK centric, but I think a lot of people would love to know a little bit more about how the French Riviera property market works. You said there that, it's a lot more placing the the asking price at the highest level possible and open houses and things like that. But to somebody who's got, say, zero knowledge of how the, the, the market works down there, how would you explain it to them? I would say that you take anything you know from your home market and you turn it upside down. That's a good start because it really is, you know, you can't consume anybody. When you commit to an offer, you're committed until the end. When you have... Uh, an asking price, the asking price might be inflated. I mean, we as agencies uh, or agents here, 30, 40% of our time is spent educating our vendors because we want them to understand what the market is. But because again, that the market data is not so available in the same way as some of those more, I can't say more controlled, but different, you know, differently run markets uh, uh, like the UK, where, where you could go onto loads of websites and put in your address and you kind of get an exact uh, price. I mean, we're starting to get towards that, but really, um, it's a it's a combination of of uh, of the broker and the owner and a discussion based on comparables and all the usual stuff. And then an owner will always say yes, but you know, two million really. I think I can get two point three. The the, the three hundred thousand on the top of the two is hot air. So how do you calculate that or use that as a you know base for price reduction in the market if you have you know, hot air taken off that doesn't really exist for any party. So it, they they put it on as a as a buffer for the vendor. The vendors do, uh, so they can have a bit room for negotiation. But what they forget is negotiation normally is done by on the real price. If anyone's going to negotiate, and a buyer in, in any market would go out and see five, ten, twenty, thirty, fifty properties, and and they would probably know it almost more than their agent. Um, and and then everyone buys on comparable, so it's it's hard to um, uh, to understand the market initially, but with a bit of bit of help and a bit of focus, you'll get there. Um, but the pricing system and the data that we get, we get out in order to guide our buyers and sellers are a little bit cloudy, to put it lightly. 
Mm. And obviously the office uh, in the French Riviera is partnered with with Knight Frank more generally. So do you find yourself getting a lot of referrals to and from London or to all of our offices around our global network? Have you found that the whole market is completely international as a result of that partnership? Yes, we are the only true international real estate agent in the south of France, for sure. There are competitors, um, but the competitors just aren't even close to, to the operation and setup that we have. So we really, you know, we speak every week with Night Frank Moscow. We have people from Night Frank around the U.S., or partners in the U.S. coming to the south of France in the summer. We have, uh, uh, when we go to Geneva, we, we say hi. When, when they come down to Cannes, they say hi. Vienna, uh, London, obviously, um, Berlin, uh, you know, uh, Hong Kong. I mean, it's it's anywhere. But it's, South of France tends to be a very attractive place for a lot of people from around the world to travel to. So we have that that luxury of having all these these partners around the world coming in to say hi. But we really do also work with them. Obviously, we, everybody meets everybody once a year at the global conference, which is very great, very good. And then we get our um, or referral um, network and uh, and that that works very well as well we had some very successful referrals in and out um, so it's very much you know if someone says oh my property I think that will that will suit a Russian buyer then we could talk concretely about the name of the people in the Moscow office that we will speak to um, in order for this vendor to feel that he's really getting the international uh, reach and the global reach um, and we're happy to put them in contact if that's something that our colleagues uh, over there would be happy to do so it's, it really is uh, a lot more than just saying that we have offices all over the world we have friends and colleagues all over the world and we know their names and I think that's uh, one of our biggest strengths definitely and it, it ties back into the whole partner and property narrative that we're trying to to push at the moment here at night frank is that ultimately as much as we're connected to our clients we're also connected to each other and that's one of the main things about night frank and to delve in a little bit more into the people that are looking to buy in the south of france would you say that there's sort of an, an average person who looks to buy in the south of france or is it a very eclectic mix of all different types of people i think that our market is a little bit like you know, a luxury goods store. I mean, you, you come to the south of France and you have all these kind of big brands in terms of Monaco, Cannes, Nice, Saint-Tropez. So it, it really is a high-end, you know, market in general. You can get a wonderful four or five bedroom house with a pool and garden for a million euros um, in, in, in my sector. And if you go to my friend Rudy's sector in Provence, only an hour and a half drive away, um, you probably can get a great villages entry price of kind of eight hundred thousand. But you know our average sales are three to four million. So we would consider ourselves being in the in the you know the in the upper luxury market. Um, and and the sky's the limit, of course. But you know there are tourists coming here, of course, as well. Uh, loads of them. Um, after Paris, I think we're the second one in France, and that means perhaps the second region in the world that has, you know, with the number of, of visitors uh, per, for the size of the, for the area, for, for the people living here. Um, but it's probably more, you know, wine and culture and, you know, the French luxury brands and all, all, the, all those things that are French often cost a bit of money. 
and uh, that's the same for the market down here but we're open for everybody we're not snobby at all uh, but it's just that we have decided to remain in that kind of upper core to upper luxury um, sector um, there are of course a big market for the local population and people who want more entry level uh, properties to to buy things for two three four or five hundred thousand euros that's just not our market uh, but there is it is there you know mm, definitely it's more of the, an exclusivity thing rather than say as you said a snobbish thing and for you personally where where would you say is your your favorite part of the south of france which is the area that you find yourself gravitating most to and you're most excited for when a property becomes available there when a property comes available, it's a very difficult question because you do discover parts of your region every day and, and, and angles and areas that you haven't kind of realized before. Personally, I live in the countryside, just 20 minutes away from the coast, 25 minutes from this airport, uh, where the schools and are for the children and where there's more kind of more space and all these charming villages and golf clubs and tennis clubs and and things like that but you know the i think the quintessential of the Côte d'Azur and the french riviera is those kind of properties perched on a height just by the water you know our our property in nice you know the james bonneville as we call it sean connery's uh, previous home you know that is a very much the kind of property you think that's very riviera or when we have a great property for sale on cap Ferrat or cap d'antibes which has a, a period building, you know, turn of the century or even a, a beautiful Art Deco building. Because I, I tend to think that most areas have, you know, building new, anyone can do. But finding something old with history and, 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 and an ultimate location, because back then you had more choice uh, where to put a property, those kind of, those properties are the ultimate. So I can't pick up one, but I do tend to think that those down by the water are particularly uh, attractive. And you touched that a little bit on on your own home. So I'd like to take a little bit further into that because this podcast is obviously called At Home With and our, our listeners are always very interested to hear about our guests' homes too. And so what was it that made you decide to pick the area that you're currently living in? And what was it about your home that really sold it for you? Well, my area is Valbon. It's uh, 18th century, 17th, 18th century village, um, which is kind of the epicenter of the countryside on the French Riviera, where you know everyone gets together in the summer on the square with all the restaurants and everything happens. That that continues all the year round. But most people, when they when they don't know Valbonne, and we said, well, why don't you have a lunch there today or come for dinner tonight? When they've had that experience, they kind of walk out of there thinking. Yeah, this is where we want to be. Can we, can we have a property close to this, please? So it has that kind of attraction to, to it. So so I was I fell for that as well. But um, it was a combination of, of being uh, not too far from the coast, not too far from the airport, close to international schools, and um, in the kind of golden triangle of, of the countryside of the Riviera, um, that kind of and made us, made us uh, fall on Valbon. I mean, obviously... I should perhaps add that my wife's family also is from Valbonne. So that obviously was a big, uh, uh, a big reason for, 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 for choosing it. But like anyone, I live and work here. So any local market is dictated by things like uh, school, friends, family, commute to work and all those things. So, so I'm not as free 
as someone who buys a holiday home where you have none of those restrictions really you can really choose to come and, and buy wherever you like um which is a which is a massive luxury i think um to be able to do that um for for my home itself you know i'm a i'm a normal guy we have a fairly i think normal house it's uh it was really the size of the land uh, all the greenery around it uh, the you know the big lawns and and it was a provincial house when we bought it and it's still kind of is but it needed a lot of work it didn't have a pool it didn't have a pool house it didn't have uh you know uh, hadn't been touched inside since 1981 so it was a, it's a real renovation project which we have enjoyed for the last you know for, for, for a couple of years it took to kind of finish it so that's one of my drives as well is that that original interest in property was always creating something that was done by us and for us i mean that's how you you get the the best house i think sometimes mm, yeah that's really interesting i suppose it's like making it bespoke to you and then it feels as you say more like home and it's something i picked up from having a look at your your instagram account earlier was that you're also a really keen cyclist was that also something that was really important to you being in an area that allowed you to to carry on with that passion and really enjoy that for what for what you wanted to do and is that do you find that cycling for you is a way to take let off steam and escape from work a little bit and use that as a bit of a balance time it definitely is fantastic sport. Um, I think any sport is fantastic. Um, and for me, it happened to be cycling. I actually fell into cycling three years ago, four years ago, so quite late. Um, and been living then for 16 years before that in this cycling paradise, as if anyone follows or followed um, Tour de France this year, it's, it started down here and um, it's just amazing. Um, you can choose between the coastal, uh, seaside rides and, and the high mountains or in between um, and every village has a fountain where you can you know fill up with fresh water from the uh, from the mountains really so it's uh, it's 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 great but um, unfortunately I came into it a bit a bit too late so it didn't have any you know it wasn't any reason for me to buy where I uh, where I, I live today but I have clients who come and say I want to be able to do sports from where I uh, where I buy I want, I want to be able to hike I want to be able to play golf tennis uh, ride a horse um, uh, cycle or, or quickly get down to the water because we love sea swimming and and the good thing here is sport is actually a part of the Riviera that a lot of people don't don't see because it's all so much focus on the sunset on the beach rest from the beach restaurant and the, the glamorous kind of yacht and supercars and Monaco and Cannes and yes that is a lot if you want that you can have it but most people here they have that occasionally when you get an invitation or there's an occasion to do it day-to-day -day life is is just like anywhere else you know um, and you do sports and the kids do sports so so a lot of um, uh, a lot of people come here also for that. You know, we're an hour and a half from ski resorts. Uh, all winter we can go skiing. Uh, you, you have all the water sports down here uh, and everything in between on, on 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 dry land. So it's a great place for an all year round kind of home or or holiday home. 
Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily see, as you said, South de France as, as someone that's particularly sporty. But I suppose as well with, with the Tour de France being such a massive thing and coming through the area, that must be an amazing place to be and to be active and stuff there. And I mentioned that I, I'd seen that you were into cycling via your, your social media. And to touch a little bit more on, on social media, you've got quite an active profile on there. You've got over 6,000 followers. Do you find that you use social media quite regularly from a from a client acquisition perspective and a, a selling home? perspective and do you find that you've had much success using social media and developing that digital profile when it comes to making sales and and gaining new clients i think social media is even more important now than it than it was and i think it's it's really been given an extra boost with the the, the, the lockdown and the covid of 2020 where people have looked digitally for digital kind of interest or, or other things you know they, they, they go online for everything now they already did before but i think even more now so so that profile is is important i mean i don't have many followers yet but it's it's also something i kind of started fully on uh on the last year so it's always growing and, and actually as as your followers become more related to what you do and what you post then obviously you do get people coming. I mean, I posted something this morning on a waterfront property. We already got two people who emailed in and said that that could really be of interest. Tell us more. So it does work. Um, uh, LinkedIn worked, uh, work as well as, as Instagram, I find. And I think it's, I think it's important. I think it's a great snapshot of, of, of an area. You know, if I wanted to go to Greece, I will probably start looking on, on Instagram actually more than almost Googling. You know what part of Greece uh, would suit me for my holiday, or if I wanted to buy down there, where, where would be the best place to buy in terms of? We are all very visually seducted easily visually, so I think that's the first stop, and then we can go into the maths and the and the numbers afterwards. Mm, and for you, is it was it important to make sure that you're also therefore documenting the the lifestyle elements of your life? So things like your cycling or things like going on holiday and all that sort of stuff. Is it important that you pop that on there as well as just houses as well? Is that how you're differentiating your your most personal brand and showing that there is that lifestyle element to what you do as well? I tell all my brokers that they should have a personal public work Instagram profile. Uh, where they can put houses and and that, that kind of lifestyle a bit um, doesn't have to show the you know rather not show all the kids and things like that which I don't do either um, because all the companies I have have their own Instagram profiles and some are twenty thousand followers some got more so there's there's bigger audience on some of them uh, but mine was more yes it's it's kind of making your own name a little bit of a side you know an additional brand to to the bigger brand of Knight Frank so that you you might think that Knight Frank is in the south of France but if you find that uh, Anna at Knight Frank on Cap Ferrat is on there then that gives you all those elements you get the, the sector you want you got the a solid brand that you trust and you got the person that seems to know exactly what she's doing and have kind of houses you like that she has for sale so then that's a direct contact you don't have to go through all the layers of calling an office and then finding out that that person is not in and all that. I mean, we've taken away a lot of those kind of um, obstacles almost uh, uh, by creating our own name um, on social media. So people can come directly to the source. 
Mm, it's like simplifying that that user and that customer experience and giving them a more, as you said, direct access to people. And so looking back over the course of your career, which would you say has been your most exciting or interesting property sale to date? The most exciting, I think, was last year when we set a new French record for the highest ever achieved price per square meter. Um, that said a lot, I think, uh, to be able to set a, a, a record like that outside of Paris. So we were very proud of that one. Mm, and can you tell us a little bit more about that? What sort of property was it? Or what kind of interesting story was there behind it? Well, that particular property where we set uh, the French record for the highest achieved price per square meter was uh, a new built penthouse in Cannes. So it didn't really have, you know, a typical long history is brand new building but i think what's made it stand out was obviously its exceptional location uh, and also that it was brand new and when we look at the french riviera most homes here are refurbished homes and some obviously are new built but in the prime locations there haven't been any possibility to build anything new for for decades so when something new comes up uh, you would choose that over the older building from maybe 1970s or 1950s that was more tired. And obviously a new building has all those services that a five-star multimillionaire buyer or billionaire buyer would expect today with all the security, the concierge services, the, the, the underground ice room and gyms and the pool on the rooftop, private, of course, and all those things. So, so I think, um, it was more the fact that it was brand new and exceptionally well located and a great design that that, that attracted a buyer. Um, of course, we have loads of properties with great history. Um, I guess the history of this property is going to have to start now. And looking at what we've currently got on our books at the moment, looking at that, which would which is your favourite property or the most exciting property that we've got at the moment that you'd like to promote? There's two that are equally exciting but in very different uh, areas. Uh, one is in the countryside, it's called Chateau de Valette. So it's a 14th century chateau with an amazing history and uh, a fantastic kind of dreamy chateau home with all the toys in terms of tennis and pool and uh, accommodation and you know the surrounding nature, uh, the views of the hilltop villages, the sunset, it's got everything and it's absolutely beautifully looking. So that's the kind of backcountry dream property, I think. And then on the coast, we have something that is equally fun um, uh, and, and kind of even more maybe French Riviera, which is Villa Roquefleury in uh, Cap de Nice, right above the port, old port of Nice, where kind of the whole thing, you know, the the river was built out from, um, and that is uh, Sean Connery's uh, uh, old home that we now refer to as the James, James Bond Villa on the French Riviera. And you couldn't get a much cooler phrase than that, and I don't think we ever will get it again. So we are very excited about that one. And obviously, both of these properties are uh, exclusive listings, and we are sole agents um, at my Frank and, and very proud of them. 
Amazing. They both sound incredibly exciting, especially the the Sean Connery, James Bond home. And we'll make sure we put links to both these properties in the show notes of this episode. And so to move on to the, the penultimate section of this, this interview, we'd like to start with a quick fire round. And the first question I'd like to ask you is city or country? Country. Classic or contemporary? Contemporary. Penthouse or townhouse? Penthouse. Cool or email? Cool. Office or working from home? Office. Swimming pool or tennis courts? Swimming pool. Cycling or running? Cycling. And finally, can or Saint-Tropez? Can, 100%. Amazing. And so the final question that we ask everybody who comes on the podcast is, what does being a partner in property mean to you? A partner in property is is like in life. A partner is someone who cares beyond just today and a quick deal um so we are here uh with our clients for the long run always brilliant frederick thank you so much you're welcome rebecca hope that was useful thanks so much for listening to this episode of at home with if you enjoyed this episode please make sure to subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify acast or wherever you get your podcasts We'd also love it if you shared this episode on social media and please check out the show notes for more information. I'll be back next Wednesday with another exciting episode.